Amen. You guys can be seated. As John uh, introduced me earlier, my name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, I get the privilege this morning to, uh, to, be, able to, to be able to preach to you guys. Um, as many of you know, Tori and I have, um, have been in the process of adopting children for about three years now. And uh, outside of marriage, it's probably been a, one of the, the most sanctifying way, things for us. It's stretched us, it's grown us. And back when we decided to adopt children nearly over uh, three years ago, we thought it would be an incredible way for us to be able to show other people about how God had adopted us. And we thought in a self-righteous way that really someone would see our children loving all over us and then miraculously fall on their knees and they would ask, what must I do to be saved? And then, then, then what would happen after that is that, that then they would adopt 10 children and those 10 children would, would start a movement of, of planting 10,000 churches all over South Asia and then, then Jesus would come back and it would be all because we adopted three children as a Sarah McLaughlin song plays slowly in the background, <laughs> softly. Well, as you can imagine, it really hasn't worked out like that for us. Yet, at least, I'm still, I'm still holding out hope for that. This is, these are our three children who are waiting for us, and we are waiting for them just as much as they're waiting for us. Through all of this, a bombshell of, of new understanding has really just exploded in our hearts and, and if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, I really want this to explode in your heart as well, okay? I want you to really see the beauty of adoption. Now, I don't want you to tune me out just yet. You're like, I don't have kids, that, or I don't want kids just yet. That's fine. I'm not saying that, that everyone needs to adopt. I'm not saying if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian that you should adopt, or if you want to be a good, a good Christian that you need to adopt. Here's what I am saying. You will only trust God to the extent that you understand your spiritual adoption. You only trust God to the extent that you understand that you've been adopted by God. You need to know that Jesus just didn't come to die for you. He just didn't come momentarily and, and it, it just come and momentarily give up his inheritance to come to the earth to show you how to live to become a better person. Jesus did more than lay out an architectural plan for you to, to become a better person. Jesus did more for you than to show you how to live victoriously. Jesus did more for you than helping you understand how you can have a better marriage. Jesus did more for you than just giving you platitudes to understand how to respond to people who treat you poorly. Jesus did more. He did way more. He secured your adoption. While he was beaten while he was being torn to pieces, while he was being forsaken by the Father, he was brothering you so God could father you. You must understand that God is more than a friend to you. He's your father. He's a perfect father. A father that does not die, a father that does not lie, a father that never leaves you, a father that, that never forsakes you, a father that never abandons you. He's, he's, he's a God that, that doesn't trade you for alcohol. He doesn't sacrifice you for sexual affairs. He doesn't complain that you don't measure up to your older sibling. He doesn't look down on you because you're not athletic. He doesn't ignore you because he's a workaholic. He's attentive to you. He loves you with an absolute wisdom and absolute consistency. His love never fails. His love never gives up. And his love never runs out. And I've never more understood this 
in my life over, the, the, over these past three years as I've tried to wrap my mind around how I'm supposed to, to love these three kids. These are three kids who've had more happen to them and have seen more things than I could ever, than we'd ever wish anyone, than we would ever wish on anyone to see. And for some reason, God has chosen an imperfect man like me who's about as consistent as a blindfolded drunk man trying to throw darts. Now, I know to some of you, oh, there, there it is. There, go ahead. That's me, all right? I'm, I'm that consistent. And I know some of you, you might, you might seem like this is a pipe dream to know God this way. But you really want to. And listen, I want you to, I want you to know that too. Within this teaching, the Bible lies the key to rest, safety, and security for the rest of your life. Within the presence of God the Father is all the emotional, spiritual, rest, safety, and security you could ever imagine. So we're going to look at Galatians 4 this morning to begin with. And I'm going to be looking at a couple different passages to show you what, uh, what adoption really means. And so if you're, not, if you're new to the Bible, don't stress out. We'll have the uh, Bible verses up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles available on the community groups table. That's free for you, uh, free to you if you don't have one available, okay? Galatians 4, 1 through 7 says, As long as he's a child, the heir, he is no different from a slave, though he is an owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Verse 3 says that we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, first of all, this has nothing at all to do with you not being able to pass fifth grade math. Okay, so you can rest a little bit. It's more like your one-year-old self, okay? You know, at that age, you look all cute. You're starting to grow a little bit. You're starting to lose those cankles of yours. But you're a handful. And someone has to feed you, give you a bath, change your diaper. And that's humbling, isn't it? To think that someone had to change your diaper at one point. And probably will at some point in the future. <laughs> someone had to tell you to not put a fork in the electrical outlet. But you most certainly knew that was the most appropriate place to put that fork. And no one was going to tell you otherwise. If there are a couple things that characterize a one-year-old, it's selfish, needy, and unable to discern. And I mean that in the kindest way possible, okay? At, the a- at that age, you were enslaved to being cared for. But really, what's changed? Now, hopefully no one has to change your diapers, okay? But Paul says we're enslaved to the fact that we'd like to interpret the, way, the, the, the world the way that we want to. We, we don't want to be guided. We know what's best. We say, don't mess with me. I, I, I'll do what I want to do. And that's what this is saying. We, and this reminds us, this takes us back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And in chapter 3, when the serpent leads Adam and Eve to question God's authority over them, the serpent asks Adam and Eve, did, did God really say you couldn't eat of that one single tree? 
I mean, did he really say you couldn't enjoy that, that luscious fruit of that one single tree over there? The serpent says, you know, I bet I know what God's up to. If you eat that delicious looking fruit of that tree, God is scared you'll usurp his authority, and then you'll be gods of your own. First thing I want you to see is that things are not as they ought to be. Isabella, Emery, and, uh, and Shepard, um, those are names of our kids, by the way. Um, Isabella is the oldest, Emery's the middle, and Shepard's the youngest son. They should never become orphans. They should never have had to wait for the hope of someone rescuing them, the, the hope of someone coming to get, to get them and give them a new life. And surely that hope at that point had become dim. I mean, hopelessness would surely make prostitution, theft, and drugs even more attractive. Their government had told them that they might be adopted. Might? Now, that's not very sure. That that just makes hope diminish even more. I mean, waiting for them would just become excruciating. And furthermore, as adoptive parents, for, for me and Tori, waiting three years took a toll on us. It wasn't supposed to take that long. We were told it would take about a year and a half. And on those three years, our hope began to diminish. I mean, secretly, we hated when people would ask us, do you have an update? Because what would happen in that moment is it would rip open our hearts and show how cynical we had become through the whole process. It had seemed that we were hoping against hope. This is not the way that it was supposed to be. Orphans should never have been without parents, and no one was supposed to be without hope. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in Genesis 3, they disobeyed God. And because of that, sin entered into the world. At that moment, at that moment, creation broke. The state of perfection in which man lived was gone. Death reigned. Hope diminished. From that point forward, relationships would never be the same. It would be a struggle to get along with people because we're all trying to be gods while other little gods are trespassing on our territory. Fathers would desert their children. Millions of orphans would be left to scavenge for food. But worse yet, the relationship between God and man would be broken. No longer would God, a perfect God, walk in a perfect garden with a perfect man and enjoy a relationship. The relationship was gone. Just like Adam and Eve, you and I would much rather be our own gods if we're honest and determine our own destinies. Instead of a piece of fruit, you and I have our other if-onlys. If only I could be married to an incredible woman, which I am, by the way, just in case there's any confusion about that. I catch myself there. If only I could have the attention of so-and-so. If only I could get that promotion. If only I could own a house. If only someone would really appreciate me. If only I could lose that flab on my arms. If only I made 10,000 more dollars. If only my spouse would please me sexually. If only. What we fail to realize is that those if onlys never please us. If we get them, they end up making us prideful. And if we don't get them, we're crushed. We're trying to be our own gods, but that just leaves us looking for more. And in the end, it really leaves us hopeless. You know, because we choose to do our own thing, God can have no part of us. He's, he's too perfect uh, to permit us to come near Him. He's too consistently holy for us to even be allowed to be near Him. A, a man by the name of Moses in the Old Testament, 
who was chosen by God to lead God's people out of slavery couldn't even be in God's presence. And the Bible calls him a righteous man. If Moses couldn't be in God's presence, what about us? What about the people who consistently discard God for the newest, if only? Look at verse 4. But when the, but, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, at just the right time, God sent forth the Son to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In comes in the Father. A ray of hope shines. This is the second thing I want you to see. Adoption is the way that God makes things the way they ought to be. Now, what was supposed to happen back in Genesis What was supposed to happen when God created us? What what were we supposed to do? Well, we were supposed to worship God and enjoy Him forever. but, but But instead, on a regular basis, we choose to worship ourselves. And we enjoy short lived pleasures. Those fruit that look so delicious regularly end up tasting bitter. I mean, you you know this all too well. We know this. It's nice to feel complimented, didn't you? Find yourself doing the things, wearing the right clothes, just so someone will notice. At first, it's only an hour or two, but eventually the drive for success makes you a workaholic. You think that one view of porn won't hurt you, or won't hurt anything, but soon you can't say no. See, we want to experience great happiness. We want to experience great freedom. But what comes out seems to only bring slavery and dissatisfaction. And God never forces us to do anything against our will. He, he permits us to choose and he lets us have what we want. And sadly, what we've gotten in addition to brokenness and emptiness is a status of guilty. Because as soon, as soon as we choose anything other than God to make us feel valuable, we're guilty of cosmic treason. But verse 4 tells us God didn't delay. So to change our status of guilty, he works to change our status to adopted. Look at verse 4. Paul says, the purpose of our redemption was adoption. The purpose of Jesus rescuing us was for the sake of our adoption. Jesus just didn't die so you could live. He died so you could be adopted. Jesus didn't die for you to live outside of God's family. He died so you could be a part of God's family. And the reality is there's nothing lasting. There's nothing else lasting. There's nothing else that's eternally satisfying to the way that we live than that. Jesus' death during which his blood spilled out on the ground paid the penalty for our sins, our if-only seeking. That's why Jesus died. He paid for your pursuit of becoming your own God. And because he did that, you no longer have the status of guilty. But you know what? That really only satisfies one problem. Let me show you. It's like you being arrested and tried for murdering an innocent man. No, yeah, you you, you murder an innocent innocent man. I mean, if you, anyways, uh, I digress. All right, so if you get arrested and you're tried and you murder, you murder an innocent man, then come to find out the judge who's going to determine your fate is actually the man, actually, actually the father of the man that you murdered. You actually ended up murdering the judge's son. And so to no one's surprise, the verdict is read, you're guilty as charged. The gavel falls and you're a convicted murderer. You're a condemned murderer. And then, 
Then in a turn of events, the judge says, I'm going to let you go. You're free. You're exonerated. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't you be thankful? Well, I think really maybe you'd only be thankful for a bit. I think the excitement would probably wear off and you'd find yourself back in the same circumstances that led you to kill a man. You see, your long-term actions will never be changed by someone's act of goodwill. You'll quickly forget and you'll return to your criminal ways. You see, you just don't need Jesus to die for you to get rid of your guilt. You need Him to change your desires so you won't seek to act out the murderous desires of your heart. Your desires will only change to the extent that you grasp the status that God the Father has given you. A status that's based on nothing you have done, but rather in spite of what you've done. That's called grace. That's what that is. This is, this is why adoption is so profound. Remember, Galatians 4.4 4 says the purpose, the purpose of God redeeming you was for your adoption. So what exactly is adoption? Well, you see, in, in Paul's day, it was much different than adoption is in our day. Um, now, now we adopt children. We, the younger, the better, typically. In, in Paul's day, it was grown men who were adopted. Um, a landowner, a business owner would acquire a large uh, amount of wealth, a large estate. And at, at some point he was, in his life, he'd realize, I don't have an heir. What am I going to do? Who's going to get this? And he didn't have someone to take possession of his thing. So uh, he, he, would, he, he had no one to take his name. So what he would do is that he would find a young man and he would adopt him. He would make that young man his own. The son would take his name. Whatever, whatever debts this young man had, the father would pay off. Whatever mistakes the son made, the, the father would take those mistakes on himself. And the young man, once a nobody, becomes a somebody because a wealthy man decided to make him a son. When Tori and I are in Colombia, and we have our three kids by our side, and the judge looks at us and he says, today these kids are no longer orphans. They're your children. Shepherd is your son. Emery is your son. Isabella is your daughter. I mean, Emery is your daughter. Uh, you get it. You get the picture. Their status will change. Their legal status completely changes. No longer will we be on a humanitarian effort. They'll belong to us. Everything that, that, that we have will become theirs. And, and though that's not a lot, but it'll be theirs, okay? We'll not withhold love from them because they make a mistake. We'll actually step in and make the mistake ours. You ran into the car? Great, son. You don't have a job. I'll pay for it. We'll not desert them. We'll not leave them. We'll shower them with love. They'll go from fatherless to family with the drop of a gavel. A new status. You see, this is, this is what God has done for you. He just didn't love you and send Jesus to die for you. He looked on you and said, I want to make you my son. I want to make you my daughter. I have an inheritance that I want to give you that I'm going to give you freely. Take the example of, of you murdering the judge's son. Imagine, this, imagine the judge not only frees you. He says, you're free. You're free to go. But then he says, I want you, I want to, I want you to come live at my house. I want you to have a place in my house, a permanent residence. He says, I want, I, he says, I want to make you a child of mine. I want, to, I want to love you like my very own. He then takes 
that takes the inheritance of the, of the son that, that, that you killed and he gives it to you. And he adopts you and makes you his own. The highest possible thing for God to do for you was to adopt you. When Jesus died for you, the most amazing gavel fell. And on that day, God declared that you're no longer guilty. You're adopted. You're now his own. I recently heard a story about a guy who's um, whose older dad was giving him the death talk. The dad was talking about his, his preeminent death. And so uh, he, he was well, he wasn't sick, but um, he wanted to make sure that, 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 that his will was taken care of in case, in case something were to happen to him. Now, if you can imagine, if one of your parents came to you and said, I want to talk about the will, first of all, you're sad. You know, you're like, oh, I don't want to think about that. But then your second question is, am I in the will? I just want to make sure I'm still there. And the father says, you know, of course you know your, 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 your sister's adopted, and your other two bo- your, your, one of your sister's adopted, and your other two brothers are biological. He says, I talked to my lawyer, and the lawyer informed me that in the state of Georgia, that at any time you can write out your biological children from the will, but you can never write out your adopted children, ever. Adoption is not second-class citizenship. The idea that Paul is communicating here is that you're secure. You're more secure because you're adopted. You were chosen even when you had nothing, nothing to offer. And I can't help to think about how our kids have nothing to offer us. If anything, they have a ton of baggage. They were helpless, outcasts. But I tell you right now, if we found out that plane tickets are going to quadruple, if we found out that all three of them have some crazy, deadly illness, nothing, I mean, nothing at this point would stop us from adopting them. We'd love them beyond what we, could ever, what we ever thought was possible. And if we feel that way, imagine, <laughs> imagine for just a moment how little you have to offer God. You have nothing to offer God. On your best day, the the book of Isaiah says that your righteous deeds are as clean as filthy, dirty, disgusting, blood-soaked rags. (laughs) But, But God has chosen to love you in spite of how little you have to offer. Here's... Here's something I want you to see that perhaps might be one of the most incredible descriptions of God's love for you. Because I know sometimes that can be out here. But I want to, I want to show you what exactly that looks like. Look at, look at John 17, 23. This is Jesus praying to, to God the Father. Jesus says, God, Father, you sent me and loved them. You sent me into the world and you loved them even as, even as you loved me. When Christ says that, when, when you see the word of adoption, which means to bring a child into a family and make that child like a biological child, this means that everyone, every single person sitting in this room that trusts Jesus with your life, that, that God has received you with as much, with, with the same, the exact same love He has for His heavenly Son, Jesus, His one and only Son, The Father has adopted you and loves you with as much power and constancy and joy as He does His Son, Jesus. I mean, is is that not incredible to think about? And Jesus lived a perfect life so that you could have His perfection. 
Jesus died a death that you deserve to die. He, he died in your place. He, he lived perfectly and transferred His righteousness to you and died taking your sin so that you wouldn't have to be orphaned, eternally separated from God. Jesus lived and died so that you could be His brother and sister. All that Jesus went through, He was brothering you so God could be your Father. Look back at verse 4. It says, He redeemed you so that you could be adopted. God the Father desired nothing more than to pour His inheritance out on you. The inheritance that, 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 that His one and only Son willingly shared with you. Was willing to give it up so that you could have some of it. An inheritance that our minds in no way, our minds just don't have any way of, of describing, of grasping that. And, and it's something that we're going to see that, that even Scripture has a hard time describing. So we're going to look at, uh, look at Romans eight fifteen through 19. That's going to be on the screen. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba! Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. While, While this scripture is true, and there's, there's some things that we know won't happen e- even if they did because it'd be really weird. So here's what I mean. Now, our kids won't receive our chromosomes, okay? They won't receive our DNA. We can't give that to them, and that's probably for good reason. Um, I honestly, <laughs> I'd hate for Shepard to get the uh, chromosome that would make him go bald like me or for Emery to get my offer, all, all, offer, awful sense of humor that, uh, that, so she can't say cliches right which might mean instead of saying, I'm going to show you my card, she'd say, I'm going to bear my eggs to you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Said that once. <laughs> or she'd say, now, don't get the horse in front of the cart. Isn't that the point, though? <laughs> but, but listen, I do hope uh, Isabella gets my athletic prowess. As you know, I almost hit a home run once when I was in eighth grade. Uh, the bases were loaded. I remember perfectly. It was 80 degrees. The, the crowd was cheering. Maybe it was just my mom and dad, but um, anyways, th- th- these kids will not have our DNA. So here's the last thing that I want you to see, is that adoption eliminates fear. The Bible tells us, however, that, that God the Father will give us His DNA. Look at what it says in verses 15 and 16. You see, when, when he talks about the Spirit, we, we've been given the Holy Spirit who lives within us to, to regularly confirm that we belong to God, that we're safe, that, that you don't need to take up home elsewhere, that you don't need to chase after your if-onlys. The Spirit works to confirm that you belong to the Father and that He loves you more than you can imagine. So the question is, how do you know if you're a Christian? When Satan condemns you and says, who do you think you are? You think you're a son? God's Spirit is right there reminding you. 
saying, God's Spirit saying, don't listen to the spirit of slavery. Don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to the old self. The Spirit says, remember your brother Jesus. He died for you, not only to remove your sins, but make you safe with the Father. The Father now loves you with equal constancy as He does me. As He does the Son. Rest. Remember. You'll be tempted. You'll be tempted to fall back into fear. You'll be tempted to fall back into the things that, that you feel you know best. When our kids come home to us, you know, I'm sure the, um, the honeymoon period will be awesome. And just this past week, we were able to, uh, to Skype with them. And uh, I really have few words to describe that. I mean, we got to hear their adorable voices, see their, their live faces and their expressions, and get to see them to smile and clap their hands with excitement about having a forever home. We, we've heard them try acute faces, acute words, uh, cute words and phrases. I mean, they try, they try to say, yes, we like it, and they say, yes, we like it. Um, <laughs> it sounds perfect to us. They've said, we love you, and it's like, we, we love you, you know, it, it just doesn't come out, but it communicates per- perfectly to us. Listen, we're trying to communicate to them already how much we love them. Oldest daughter tells us, tells us that we are God's gift to her. She has no idea. Our middle daughter looks at the computer and she says, Papa, I want to blow you a kiss. These three beautiful kids will come home and I'm sure everything will go fun. I mean, you know, from day one, and then that day is going to come, and I'm going to say, no, sweetie, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Shepherd, you can't draw on the dog with a knife, okay? In that moment, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to like us. In that moment, they'll wish that, to, to, they'll wish that they want to return to what they know best. Fear that they don't really know who we are and that they don't really trust us. Yet, we'll overwhelm them. And one day, I can imagine that Emery, with her big, beautiful brown eyes, will look into my eyes and ask, Papa, why did my mom and dad desert me? How do I know you won't abandon me? And we, we have to say no to a particular kind of outfit because we don't think it's modest, even as small a thing as it is. She'll cry out, you don't care about what I want. I wish you had never adopted me. And if I'm honest, I do the exact same thing to God. God, why won't you instantaneously make me better at public speaking? Won't you put people around me who appreciate me? Why won't you make my life smooth sailing? You don't care what I want. I don't trust you. See, you'll forget that you were adopted. You'll forget that you no longer have to worry about your safety. You'll forget your inheritance. But you know what? God knows it will happen. So he's taken some steps to remind you of your adoption. He's put his spirit into you, not to fall back into slavery, but to remember your adoption. In those moments, Paul says the spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And that's not like some cute little daddy, daddy. It's Abba, Father, Daddy, help. God's spirit does that in the midst of your fear. He's not left you alone. But you know what? That's awesome. That really is. That's incredible. For those of you who staked your life on Jesus, 
You know, there's some more. Your inheritance is to be revealed. Look at verses uh, 18 and 19. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. One day, one day we'll have the, the, the glory of our inheritance. Our, our glory is going to drop on us. It's going to be revealed in some way that, look, even Paul has a hard time describing it. God's power is going to be dropped on us and His nature, His perfection will come immediately to us and it's not going to include clouds and harps, y'all, okay? It's going to be more awesome than that. It's going to be mind-blowing. We'll finally lose all of our flaws. We'll finally be restored to people who carry themselves with integrity and, and nobility and all wisdom and power. And we'll be just like God. And we won't be like God, but we won't be gods, but we will have all the characteristics of perfection. Relationships are going to be fixed. Fathers will no longer desert their children. You'll no longer be looked over because of your perceived lack of talents. Making an extra $10,000 won't matter because you'll have galaxies as an inheritance. You'll no longer be compared to your older sibling. Why? Because a greater older sibling, Jesus, has stepped into your place and He has said, Father, don't judge them, judge me. Because this Father looks on you like He looks on the Son. You don't need other people to accept you. You don't need sex, money, or power to make you feel accepted. God the Father is eagerly waiting to pour out an eternal inheritance on you. Now, Isabella, Emery, and Shepard, they know who their parents are. They've seen us over Skype, as I mentioned. They've, they've seen their rooms. They've, they've seen their toys. They've heard us say, we're going to come to you as soon as we can. They've been given a glimpse of the thing that they've longed for for years. Their hope had waned. But when they saw this on the Skype, hope no longer was diminished. Hope abounded. No longer did they have to worry about the alternatives. Look, Paul is trying. Paul is trying to give us a glimpse of the day that your hope, the day that my hope is found. Paul is trying to Skype you in, if you will. Evidently, that day is going to be so great that, 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 that when our inheritance comes to fruition, that right now, Right now, all of creation is waiting and longing for that to happen. Romans 8.19 says that all of creation it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The imagery that the Bible here is trying to communicate is that creation is on its tiptoes in anticipation. Its neck is stretched out and it's looking and longing for that day to happen when all things are going to be made right. All decay is gone. There are going to be no more orphans. There's going to be no more sickness. Creation is restored. You think the waterfalls down in Chattanooga are awesome? You just wait till you see the, the ones that are perfected, okay? You see, adoption isn't just about giving a kid a forever home. Through adoption, God pursues you, loves you, and is waiting to pour out an eternal inheritance. But not before giving you a hope here and now. Knowing that God has adopted you and brought you into His family will give you rest, safety, and security. And He does all this in spite of you. You see, we're really all murderers ourselves. We killed the judge's son. 
And instead of sentencing us to death, the judge steps in, adopts us, gives us his son's inheritance, and loves us with a constancy that's unfading and completely perfect. You will only have a grasp of God's love for you to the extent that you understand that he has adopted you. Let's sink in for just a minute. You'll only understand the grasp of God's love for you to the extent that you understand he's adopted you. You don't have to prove anything to him anymore. He loves you in spite of everything you've ever done or anything you would ever do. Tori and I have waited. We've cried out from what seems like desperation. I mean, honestly, we, we felt like we'd never bring our children home. Our kids have waited. They've longed and hoped for the day when their adoption would come to fruition. And now we've both been, gl- we've both been given a glimpse of the future. And now our hope is unshakable. They are, they're, they're fully confident that we're coming. And for us, there's nothing on this planet that could have stop us from do- adopting them. Our adoption that we've been going through for the past three years, listen, listen, it is only a shadow, a mere glimpse of what God has done for us. Think about the joy that Tori and I experience, that, that, that Tori and I experience knowing that we're going to have three amazingly beautiful and strong kids. It brings us an incredible amount of joy. And they're the sweetest kids I've ever met. Sorry, kids, my kids are more awesome than yours, all right? If soon we were to find out that all airplanes were grounded, and there are very few ways for us to get there, let me tell you, we would board a ship or we would drive to Columbia because there's nothing that's going to stop those kids from coming home. I think about the fact that this is just a mere glimpse, a mere shadow of how God feels about you and me. God has adopted you and he's waiting to unleash your inheritance. Jesus' death in your place is just a mere glimpse of the love he has for you. God made a deep, unconditional commitment to you to bring you into his family, all the while knowing you wouldn't have anything to offer. Listen, he offers you safety, rest, and security as a son, as a daughter. All you have to do is believe it and trust him. So the question is, is that will you trust him? He's a perfect father. He makes adoption available to you. Let me tell you, he can be trusted. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your spirit that works even now in those who believe and have placed their trust in you at some moment in their life, even maybe right now, they're fearful and they feel like they have no hope. Father, I pray that your spirit will remind them of their hope that you sent your son Jesus to die for them and to give them an inheritance, to adopt them. Father, I pray for those in the room who haven't placed their trust in you. Father, I know that, that what they're experiencing right now seems to be hopeless and helplessness and emptiness. Father, I pray that your spirit would reveal to them the love that you had for them when you sent your son Jesus to adopt them. Father, would you not stop one moment And we're confident that you won't do this. Would you not stop one moment of your spirit reminding us who we are and that we're adopted? I ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.